together. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being in your house today. Thank you already the way that we have worshipped you, um, Father, individually and corporately. Thank you for folks willing to use their gifts to help us worship you, and we certainly just celebrate that. And God, we are privileged and pleased to come now and present the Word of God. I want to pray, Father, that uh, the Holy Spirit would just seize control of this place. Father, that song we sing, that may your presence, Lord, it's what we crave, it's what we need, is your presence. And we sense that even right now. Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you will talk to hearts, uh, the hearts of men and women and children and students who already know you. May we be renewed and refreshed and drawn to the true message of Christmas. And for my friends here today who perhaps have never made that decision, perhaps more people than regular listening on the radio, through the radio waves, would you speak to the hearts of those who have not experienced your amazing and wonderful grace and draw them, and draw them to the Christ of Christmas. We love you today, and we count it a privilege to be here. And Jesus, I ask this all in your precious name. Amen. Amen. We are so glad that you are here today. Thank you so much for coming. And again, I'm sure we have a few more folks listening on the radio, and we're glad that you can be with us um, in that way. You know, today's sermon is entitled, A Christmas Surprise. And of course, you know, we've been taking, the big title of the series is The Song of Christmas. And we've been taking a Christmas carol and going through the verses of that. And today really was, and is, uh, the verse is, a real surprise. I asked you this morning, I said, so what do you think would be my favorite Christmas surprise? I had to give her just a little bit of a hint because of time, um, but mine occurred back in 1965, and I probably, I'm certain some of you have heard the story, but I'm also certain you probably don't remember it. But when I was 11 years old, and I did the math twice to make sure I was just about right on the Christmas, it would have been Christmas of 1965, and um, I was that magical age when you could actually stay up past 8 o'clock. And if I remember correctly, it was about 10 o'clock Eastern time, maybe 10.30. And my father made the suggestion that I might want to go ahead and go to bed. And I said, why, Dad? You know, might as well stay up late. It's Christmas Eve. He said, well, you never know. Santa Claus may come and see. I go, I think not. I think not. And so I did go on and go to bed. And that day, it was always fun in our house because we always had the whole family there. Several of my brothers and sisters lived in town, but that didn't matter. We had like a, a three-bedroom house. Um, actually, it was two bedrooms and part of a garage that we made into a bedroom. And, and they would all come, and we'd sleep on the floor. And, well, it was just a good old family time. And so got up the next morning, and we're all sitting in the living room around. And, and my father says these words, and I really remember it quite well. He said, hey, Dwayne, why don't you go get me a cup of coffee? And that was not unusual for my dad. Um, you know, it's kind of like before remote controls, you know, son, get up and change the channel. We, we, if you're a child, you were the original remote control, okay? And so it wasn't unusual for my dad to think we were at Shoney's and for someone to serve him coffee. And so he said, why don't you go get me a cup of coffee? And we're in the living room. The dining room is here and the kitchen's there. And so I said, yes, dad. You know, that's what you did. Yes, dad. And so uh, actually I probably said, yes, sir. And I got up from the living room and walked into the dining room and literally fell over a brand new bicycle. Now, really to understand that, that was kind of like today, I'm not sure how you would compare the value of that bicycle to today's world. I just don't know. I don't know if it had to be a, a PlayStation, you know, something, I don't know, uh, uh, Xbox, I don't know. All I know is this, I almost stumbled on this bike 
and again, I can see it like it was yesterday. You know, red metallic frame, chrome fenders, um, three speeds, which back then was about all you could get. Three speeds. It even had a generator, one of those ones driven by the wheel. It had a generator, and you, you know, you put that thing down, and you could drive at night. And sure enough, I took that sucker out, and it was, you know, still dark, and it was Florida, so it wasn't too cold, and I could drive that thing around. I was just blown away. I never dreamed that I would be able to have a bicycle like that because of the economic station where my family lived. And I was so surprised that my parents cared enough to get me that bicycle. It truly was a Christmas surprise. But it really, it's not even on the same scale, you know. If I was asking you what your Christmas surprise was, it's not even on the same scale of this grand surprise that God pulled off on the very first Christmas. Our, our verse from We Three Kings this week goes like this. Frankincense, now you remember there was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, we talked about gold, how, how that was a gift of the king. We talked about myrrh and how that was a use of embalming. And we talked about the future, looking forward to the cross and the, and the burial of Jesus Christ. But frankincense was an a incense that the Jewish people and other people, but the Jewish people, used in burning and worship in God. So it's very important. So when our author writes this verse and says, um, frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity high. Prayer and praising, all men raising, worship him, God most high. American author, wrote the melody also, and he senses and knows that this gift of frankincense is so symbolic because the Christmas surprise was that God became man. The greatest surprise. The Jewish people were not expecting that. Certainly the Gentile. Gentiles could care less. But the Christmas surprise was is that God became flesh. That God came down to earth and lived as a man. And that is the greatest Christmas surprise that there could be. No one, no one saw that part coming. You know, we all get wound up about this, this little phrase. Um, we actually get wound up, not about the phrase, we get wound up the fact that the world totally misses Christmas. Frankly, can we be honest? A lot of Christians really do miss Christmas. We, we love the little saying, Jesus is the reason for the season. And, and we love that and we believe that. But I want to show you today how much bigger that is than just the birth of a little small baby. The scripture we want to use today is Colossians um, chapter 1, verse 13. And, and nowhere is this probably made more real, that saying, Jesus is the reason for season. Nowhere is it made bigger than the writings that Paul gives us. Now, keep in mind, again, for our friends that may not know, keep in mind that the letters, the epistles in, in the Bible, the New Testament, a lot of them were written by the Apostle Paul, who was a Jesus hater and became a Jesus lover. Um, he, he hated Christians, people of the way, and became one himself. Keep that in mind. He was a very scholarly man. Um, God used him in great ways to write so much of the New Testament. And there was a group of believers, a church, at Colossae. And so he wrote a letter to the church at Colossae. Hence, I bet you figured it out, the name of the letter is Colossians because it was written to the church at Colossae. All right, so that's kind of the backstory, a little bit of a fill-in, and let's look and see Christmas defined. Christmas defined. Now, if I were to ask you today, 
So, define Christmas for me. Each one of us, um, because we're at church now, I understand, Chris, you know, Christmas be defined for us at church as the birth of Jesus Christ. That would be kind of like the main definition. But, but if we really to, to take it out of this context, we would say, oh, it's being with family. Oh, it's receiving gifts. Oh, it's going home for Christmas. There'd be lots of different definitions for Christmas. But have you ever thought about this? What would God say? If, if we somehow could go to the Father and say, Father... Would you define Christmas for us? I'm not so certain that it would not be something like Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and verse 14. I think here we see a really good picture of how God sees Christmas. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to do something. I want to read it again, these two verses, and I want to read it in the first person as if God was speaking to us. Okay? Now, here's how Paul wrote it. He said, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in Him. Now, let me bring that home, and we're going to ask God the Father. We're going to take first person, and as if God was speaking to us. It would go something like this. I have rescued you from the dominion of darkness and transferred you unto the kingdom of my son that I love. We, you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. That's how God would, that's what God would say. Oh, you want a definition of Christmas? It's something like this. It's so much bigger than just a baby being born. It really is like as big as the universe and beyond. I love even the first two words and the last two words. Do you see that? He said, now Paul writing, he says, he has, and he there is God the Father. God has, God has. And the last two words in verse 14 is in him. In him. Him being Jesus. And the bookmarks of this, the bookends of this, is God and God. I want you to understand, Christmas begins with God and ends with God. I mean, really, Jesus is the reason for the season. It starts with, with, with God and ends with God, just like our lives and all that we are should start with God and end with God. Our salvation starts with God and ends with God. Again, I've said before, we've got so little to do with our salvation. All we can do is say yes and believe in by faith. It's all been done by God through Jesus Christ, his son. And what has God done for us? He has rescued us. He's rescued us. The word there means to remove from danger, both severe and acute. To remove from danger, both severe and acute. And that danger is found in the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, our lostness. You may say, well, why is that so acute and so severe? Because of this. We are one heartbeat away from that consequences of that kingdom. If you, want to, if you want a wake-up call, go to readfuneralchapel.com. Go to Warwick Funeral Chapel or funeralhome.com or Felty's or uh, Nichols and Carrier Mills and read the obituaries. Most of those people had no clue that they were one heartbeat away. 
Sometimes they're, they're small infants, and sometimes they're 12 years old, and sometimes they're 20 years old. We automatically assume that when you die, you're going to be 90 years old. We just don't know that. And the severe and acute danger is, is that people, people are one heartbeat away from eternity. And without Jesus Christ, they will suspend, they, they will send their eternity in this dominion of darkness, eternally separated from God. That's why it's so important. We needed a rescue. We needed someone who could come and deliver us from this kingdom of darkness, this danger, this acute and severe danger. And that's what Jesus did. And that's why Christmas is such a big deal. He goes and says that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us unto the kingdom of his son. In other words, he took us from, from darkness and he put us in a kingdom of light. He took us from darkness and put us in a kingdom of light. He transferred us. We went from darkness to light, from death to to life, from slavery to freedom, from guilt to forgiveness, from spiritual poverty to spiritual riches. I mean, he did huge amounts for us. When, when he moved us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, it really was a game changer. It's so much bigger than just going to heaven. It's the hope of life here. It's knowing that God the Father walks with us here. It's, no, it's knowing that we'll never face a circumstance alone. It's big news. It's big news. And he has transferred us from that darkness unto this kingdom, the kingdom of the Son, that he loves. You know, the, the Bible's just one big box of paradoxes. It really is. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. You know, it's just a paradox. And we, and we think there's this awesome scripture in Isaiah 53. And that's a prophetic scripture about Christmas, about the first Christmas, that the Messiah was coming. And in there, and we read this, I think, last week sometime, it says that it pleased the Lord to crush him. Actually, I think it says this. It pleased God to crush him. And we look at that if we're not, and that's such a powerful scripture, but we look at that and we kind of go, oh, so God was in a position where he could crush his son and it really didn't bother him. Don't you dare think that. Scriptures like this that say he transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. This Christmas was expensive. This Christmas is expensive. I told you, referring back to our bicycle story. I don't know how else to describe it, but we just didn't have a lot of money. That's just the way I was brought up. My dad worked hard. He uh, was a jet engine mechanic at the Naval Air Base. Worked out in the heat. He worked hard. And I remember one time, and this would begin probably 1965, 4, somewhere in there. I remember I sneaked a pink at his paycheck. And he made $240, $243 every two weeks. Now, I know if you're in depression, you go, well, son, that's nothing. We work 90 hours for a quarter. I know. I get that. But when I think about five kids at home, 
And my dad and mom trying to do life, even back in 1965, $120 a week wasn't a whole lot. Well, we would get calls at the house. And it usually happened around January or February. And it would go something like this. Ring, ring, ring. You know, back then, phones rang. Hello? Yeah, is, is your mom there? And I'm looking at her, and I say, uh, no. Oh, well, tell her general finance called. I said, okay. I hated those phone calls. In fact... How many times have I used my mom and dad as an example of how not to do finances? How many times have I spoken to you about you need to avoid debt and things like that? But I like had an epiphany this morning. I'm sitting there studying for this message. And I'm going, you know what? My mom and dad were not extravagant. We drove old cars. We lived in an old house. Sometimes we got clothes that were repaired. But you know what? My mama and daddy, right or wrong, don't take this from the message, right or wrong, my daddy and mama cared enough to pay a price to make sure we had a good Christmas. They, Christmas cost them because there were, there were some times when there just wasn't enough money to make those payments that they went and borrowed the money because there were no visas and MasterCards back in those days. But, but they, it cost them to give us a good Christmas. It cost them. And they did it because they loved us. They loved us. We were not extravagant anywhere else, but at Christmas time, Mama always made sure, Daddy always made sure that we had a good Christmas. I'm trying to tell you that's what God did for us. He was so lavish at Christmas. He knew that the wages of sin was death. And then he sent his son to pay the price for that sin. God is so lavish at Christmas time. He loved his son, but was willing to put his son on a Roman cross that people like you and me could have forgiveness of sins. He wanted us to have a good Christmas. Yeah, come on. Someone clap. He was just like my mom and dad were willing to sacrifice that we could have a Christmas like other kids. My father, my heavenly father, the God that we worship paid the highest price ever that we could have a Christmas that would change our lives forever. Wow. And we got, listen, we have got to appreciate that. We've got to embrace that. We've got to thank God for he transferred us into the kingdom of his son that he loved. He, he, um, verse 14, he, he, we have, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. Redemption means to buy back. Uh, the picture that's often used is we're on the slave block and we're slaves to sin and darkness and death. And, and Jesus died. That God could redeem us, could buy us back 
from being slaves of sin and death and the grave. We have been redeemed and we have the forgiveness of sins. I love this. The word forgiveness there means to take away. To take away. And Psalm 103 says this, As far as far as the east is from the west, as far as the east is from the west, so he has taken our sins. Someone made an allusion to it, or quoted it just a couple weeks ago, how that, I'm glad he didn't say north to south, because if you go north, you'll eventually go south. But if you go east, you'll never meet west. You'll just keep going. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad today that if you are a child of God, that you got that way by his marvelous redemption, that he paid the price for you because he loved you so much? And we have forgiveness of sins as far as the east is from the west. That's why I could say to you, he went from darkness to light, death to life, and slavery to freedom and guilt to forgiveness and poverty to riches. All because... Of Jesus Christ. We could quit there and call it today, but it gets better. Because not only do we have Christmas defined, we got Christ sublime. Christ sublime. Now, in verse 15 and 16, we need a little more backstory. We need to find out why Paul is teaching these standalone, really, but these standalone marvelous truths. Why is he teaching these truths? Well, we really don't understand this. We probably don't grasp it, or we really should. At the church of Colossae, where Paul is writing, some teachers were teaching that, that Jesus was, well, they didn't say he wasn't important. But here's what they said. Jesus is prominent, but not preeminent. Jesus is prominent, but not preeminent. They were on the, on the thing, and, and we see this sometimes. People start worshiping angels instead of the creator. When you, you know, there's movements sometimes you'll see, you know, where angels are made such a big deal of, they overshadow the Christ of the cross. So at Colossae, these guys were saying, Jesus is okay, but let's put him on the back burner. There are other things more important. He's prominent but he's not preeminent. Now, how does that play out in our lives? Does it have any role in it? Dwayne, is there any application in churches? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It happens when the style of worship becomes more important than the one we worship. It happens, it happens when the length of the message is more important than the content of the message. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It happens when church is more about me than it is him. See, we get all fired up about the world. Because this is exactly, this is what exactly what the world has done to Christmas and frankly a lot of Christians. We don't want to, we don't want to carve. The world says, okay, you know, you can't put it on public property, but we'll tolerate the fact that Christmas is the birthday of Jesus Christ. Don't try to do it on public property, but that's, you know, you can, you, we'll, we'll buy that part. Just don't go any further with that. We're not asking you to do away with Jesus most of the times, most of the times, most of the times. We're not asking you to do away with Jesus, but don't make him preeminent. 
And we do that all the time. You know, churches have a tendency to let Jesus be prominent, but not preeminent. The, the only place for Christ is on the front burner, not the back burner. The only place for Christ is number one. Anything else, he's out of order. He is the cause of our redemption. He's the effect of our redemption. He is the Christ of Christmas. So with that backstory, here's what Paul writes. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. The word image there in the Greek is the closest thing we have to photograph. Today, we would snap a picture, we would do a selfie, we'd get our phones out, we'd get our cameras out and take a picture. Obviously, that didn't, agree, that didn't happen back then. They didn't have those things. But what they did have was images on a coin. What they did have were statues. And the, and the sculptor would take and chip away everything that didn't look like Caesar and make a statue of Caesar. The person that would pour the coins, would make the coins, would carve away from the silver blank everything that didn't look like Caesar. Well, here, Paul says he is the image, if you will, photograph of the invisible God. Someone said that, that he is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus said in John 14, 9, talking to Philip, and Philip, you know, they asked him, well, can we see the Father? And, and Jesus said, listen, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, because he's God. Because he's God. He's answering these, these guys who are saying, you know, Jesus can be prominent but not preeminent. Because there's other things. No. He's the only show in town. <laughs> He's the only show in town. He goes on and says this. He is the, the firstborn. And that's not a time statement. It's a position. He is first in the order of creation. He's over everything. He's over everything. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is the created, creator, I'm sorry, the creator, and everything else is created. That's why he's got to be preeminent. That's why he has to be the reason for the season. But not just a baby born, but a savior crucified. You, we have got to move from just celebrating the birth to celebrating the Emmanuel factor of Christmas that God became flesh and dwelt among us Amen. and then died for us on a Roman cross that people like me and you could have forgiveness our sins, our sins taken away as far as the east is from the west and nothing Satan or hell or anyone else can throw at us and change that. <laughs> nothing. This, this is a cause. This is a purpose. This is an event truly worth celebrating. It's incredible. The Christ that is sublime. And lastly this morning, the Christ first in line. Now let me pause. Because I have taught you that Christ was always the back of the line. We're talking about two different things. 
There was one person, and it was Jesus, who could go to any party, to any event, and be number one in the room. If he went to a baby shower, more important was the baby, then the baby was Jesus was there. If he went to an anniversary celebration, he could rightfully stand and say, I'm number one, and no one could argue that point. But Jesus willingly placed himself at the back of the line every time. That's why he went to the cross. He could have said, I am God in the flesh. I'm not going to die for mere mortals. But because he loved us, he died for us. He put himself at the back of the line every time. But when Paul comes and starts describing who this Christ is, it has to be the front of the line because he is preeminent. He is number one. He is over all. Paul writes these words. For he is before all things. He is before all things. In other words, he is over all creation. <laughs> you, think, you think about it. He created his own star. You ever thought about that? He created his own star. Wise men followed a star. Guess who made it? Jesus did. Because he's the creator of all things. He's preeminent, preeminent over all things. He is, he is um, eternally coexist or existent with God. He didn't start being when he was born in the manger. He was being as long as God has been, and there's no beginning and there is no end. He is number one. He is before all things. I love this. And by him, all things hold together. King James says, what I learned, all, by him all things consist. But all things hold together by him. Those protons and neutrons that spin around and make up atoms, by him all things consist. He holds it all together. The reason scientists can look a thousand years in the future and say, what time is the sun going to rise? is because Jesus said so. He holds all things together. The reason that we could go to the moon in 1969 and hit the target is because the, the moon rotated around the earth at a constant velocity. And they knew because of that constant velocity, if they launched here and shot there, that somewhere out there, they would meet the moon. Who did that? God did. God did. He holds it all together. The reason all things aren't just falling apart is Jesus. Now, that's good to know, isn't it? Isn't that good to know? Well, let me help you out. It's not just true of the universe. It's true of you. You need to take... Someone needs to take this home today. Someone looked at me in the eye about three or four weeks ago and said, Dwayne, do you think there's any hope? And here was my answer. 100%. 100%. And there's someone here today or listening on the radio, and you're saying, is there any hope? My marriage is flying apart. Is there any hope? 
He holds all things together, the Bible says. Yes, there is. My children are wandering away. Is there any hope? He holds all things together, the Bible says. My life is crumbling around me. Is there any hope? My Bible tells me he holds all things together. Either the scripture that says with him all things are possible is true or it is a lie. With him all things are possible. He holds things together. That's why I'm glad no matter who's the president and what party's in control and what the economy does, that God is not affected by parties or people or economies. He's God. He's God. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is the head of the body. See, see, did we just say he's before? He, he's at the top of the creation pile because he's the creator. But it's almost like it, Paul wants to give us a reminder and say, not only that, but he's also, he's also the head of the church. We need a gentle reminder. Because sometimes we give people a piece of paper and tell them they're ordained and they're the preacher. The preacher thinks he owns the church. Sometimes we give deacons a piece of paper and they think they own the church. And sometimes we don't give a piece of paper at all. And some family or some person thinks they own the church. May I suggest to preachers, deacons, and people, get your hands off the church of God. It belongs to God. I'm just telling you. It's like Paul, it's like Paul said, y'all need to know this. These people who are preaching that Jesus can be prominent but not preeminent, they need to get their heads straight. Because he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Lots of other people, lots of people, a whole lot of people have died. That just, that's just life. A few have been resurrected. Lazarus was one of them. But there's only one who died, taken down and put into a grave, and on the third day came back to life, never, never, never to die again. And the picture of his resurrection through his sacrifice and through his death and through our faith and our turning from our sins, the picture of his resurrection becomes the picture of our resurrection. Because we may die, but we are going to live after that forever and ever and ever. I'm glad that Jesus shares his resurrection with us. I was doing shoeboxes. And you really don't get the picture. I hope you'll come back tonight, by the way. We'll try to have you out in time to go to First Baptist. But I hope you'll come tonight and see all about this Operation Christmas Child thing. And as we unpack the cartons to go through them, inspect them, and then recarton them for the country where they're going, there's they're just all kinds of sizes. There's the ones that we do. I was going to point like they're right there still. You know, they're, they're that big. And, but there are some that are just monstrous. And I unpacked one. I opened the carton, 
And this dude was, is a big old caboodle. Y'all remember caboodles? The things the girls put their makeup stuff in? Well, I remember it. You have three daughters and a wife, you'll remember it. I discovered shower gel because of women. And I got one of them falupa things, too. Is that what you call it? Uh, well, whatever it is, the, the spongy thing. At least I finally had man shower gel. Let's just nail that down, okay? This, this caboodle thing was this big, this wide, and this deep. It was like a little suitcase. And by the way, they let it go through. They figure that God's big enough to figure out if a person makes a basket, a box like that, he has a reason for doing it. So I pull this dude out and I open it. And I mean, it is layered, packed tight. And I, there on top of there is a note. And dear child, we have prepared this very special box for you. In it you will find many wonderful toys and gifts. But we are hoping that when you receive this box, you will share it with other children so they can be blessed too. Real story. My eyes. It's like Jesus said, I have a resurrection that's like no other. But I want to share it with you. So just like I was dead, and now I'm alive. So if you'll put your faith and trust in me and what I did on the cross and turn from your sins and follow me, just like I was dead, you will be alive. And you will be alive never to die again. And that's a big deal. If it's not a big deal to you, wait till you gather at the graveside and the preacher can't say of your loved one, he's dead and he's probably going to stay dead. But when it's a believer in Christ and you're a believer in Christ and that preacher can say, even this body, even this body will not stay in the grave for one day. It will be resurrected. Soul and spirit will be united with a brand new body and they'll go up and be with Jesus. Good teaching, folks. And all of that, all of that is wrapped up in Christmas. We love away in the manger. We love that little baby in my mind's eye, just chubby. I love that. But I'm so glad God the Father would tell us, that's wonderful. He came and was born in a manger. But, but don't leave him there. Because he's going to grow up. He's going to live a sinless life. He's going to touch the lives of people. He's going to invest in pouring in 11, 12 men, 11 men. And he's going to die on the cross that we could be together in relationship forever. And that's what Christmas is about. Paul closes this verse with, with um, so that he might come to have first place in everything. First place in everything. If you're here today, I want to encourage you to do something. If you're a Christ follower, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, um, to use the old terminology, if you are a, are, are a Christian, amen, whatever you do, whatever you do, give him first place. Give him the preeminence that he deserves. Not just on Sundays and Wednesdays. Give him the preeminence of your life. Give him all.
give him all. And if you're here today and you're not sure why you're here, it's a cold, nasty day, crowds down, reasons to stay in bed, and you're here. And you may have just figured out, this is why I'm here. I never knew Christmas was this big. I never knew Christ was this great. And today we want to give you that opportunity. We always have a decision time at the end. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And what we do this for is give you the opportunity to come and ask questions. Uh, we'll just have, we'll go over here with you or over there or go to a room if you want to go to a room. And we'll simply say, okay, what else do you need to know about Jesus and how he can forgive your sins? What do you need to know? And it would be our privilege to share that. So what's about to happen, this decision time, is your time to do. You may, if you're already a Christ follower, you're already a disciple, you're already a Christian, you may want to say, God, help me, Jesus, help me to give you first place in every area of my life. Because that's what Paul said. You deserve first place. You are preeminent, not just prominent. And maybe you're here today, and you want to know more about trusting Jesus for the first time in and we'd love to give you that opportunity also. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much. This is a, this is a pretty wonderful message. Not the presenter. The truth. And God, here we are one week away from Christmas. One week away. Can we use the next seven days to make you big in every area of our lives? Brent said it during the, during the uh, Advent presentation. As he journeys, as we journey through life this week, help us to do everything we can to permit, to promote Jesus in our lives and the lives of others. God, we pray for people to be born again this week. Born again this week. Thank you, God, for sending your son. That you love. To a Roman cross. To a cold grave. To come back to life on the third day. Father, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to draw folks to yourself. Awaken our hearts that know you. And then for someone here who may need to trust Christ for the first time, give them that courage and faith that they need. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.